Welcome to the Nutrition Facts Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Greger. I'm thrilled that you've decided to join me today because the more I learn about the latest in nutrition research, the more convinced I am that this information can make a real difference in all our lives, and I like nothing better than sharing it with you. Today, back by popular demand, we present the Nutrition Facts Grab Bag with the latest news on a whole variety of topics. First up, we help you choose the healthiest coffee and the effects of adding milk versus soy milk. Coffee drinkers live longer than non-coffee drinkers. Uh, this may be because coffee may have beneficial effects on inflammation, lung function, insulin sensitivity, and depression. This may be in part because of a class of polyphenol phytonutrients found in coffee beans called chlorogenic acids, proven to have favorable effects with studies where they just give it alone in pill form and can show beneficial effects, such as acute blood pressure lowering activity, dropping the top and bottom blood pressure numbers within hours of consumption. OK, so which coffee has the most? Uh, we know how to choose the reddest tomato, the deepest orange sweet potato, since many of the plant pigments are the antioxidants themselves. But how do you choose the healthiest coffee? Uh, more than 100 coffees were tested, and different coffees had different caffeine levels, but the chlorogenic acid levels varied by more than 30-fold. As a consequence, coffee selection may have a large influence on the potential health potential of coffee intake. So all those studies that show that you know, one cup of coffee does this or that, I mean, what does that even mean when coffee can vary so greatly? Interestingly, the major contributor to the wide range was the coffee purchased from Starbucks, which had an extremely low chlorogenic acid content, averaging 10 times lower than the other. Maybe it's because they roast their beans too dark. The more you roast, the less there is. They appear to be partially destroyed by roasting. Caffeine is pretty stable, but a dark roast may wipe out nearly 90% of the chlorogenic acid content of the beans. The difference between a medium-light roast and a medium roast were not enough, though, to make a difference in total antioxidant status in people's bloodstream after drinking them. They both gave about the same boost. Other factors, such as how you prepare it or decaffeination, don't appear to have a major effect. What about adding milk? Longtime fans may remember this ancient video, where the addition of milk was shown to prevent the protective effects of tea on artery function. Drink black tea, and you get a significant improvement in vascular function within hours, whereas addition of milk completely blunted the effects of the tea. Drink the same amount of tea with milk, and it's like you never drank the tea at all. Uh, they think it's the casein to blame, one of the milk proteins binding up the tea phytonutrients. Uh, bottom line, this finding, that the tea-induced improvement in vascular function is completely attenuated after addition of milk, may have broad implications on the mode of tea preparation and consumption. In other words, maybe we should not add milk to tea. Or put cream on our berries. It appears to have the same effect on berry phytonutrients. Or chocolate. Eat milk chocolate, and nothing much happens to the antioxidant power of your bloodstream. But eat dark chocolate, and get a nice spike within an hour of consumption. Yeah, but is that just because the milk in milk chocolate crowds out some of the antioxidant-rich cocoa? Uh, milk chocolate may only be like 20% cocoa, whereas a good dark chocolate may be like 70% or more cocoa solids. 
Okay, that's cocoa beans. What about coffee beans? When milk was added to the coffee in like a test tube, antioxidant activity decreased by more than half with just a splash of milk, and down like 95% in like latte or something with lots of milk. OK, but what happens in a test tube doesn't necessarily happen in a person. I mean, you don't know until you put it to the test. And indeed, over the course of a day, significantly fewer chlorogenic acids made it into people's bloodstream drinking coffee with milk compared to black, cutting absorption by more than half. What about soy milk? In a test tube, coffee phytonutrients do appear to bind not only to dairy proteins, but also egg and soy proteins. Uh, but what happens in a test tube or a computer simulation doesn't necessarily happen in a person. Eggs haven't been put to the test, so you don't know if like, having omelets with your black coffee could impair absorption, and neither has soy milk. Until now. Yeah, either way, soy milk has some inherent benefits over cow's milk, but does it have the same nutrient-blocking effects? And the answer is no. No significant difference in the absorption of coffee phytonutrients drinking coffee black or with soy milk. What seemed to be happening is that the soy proteins do initially bind the coffee compounds up in the small intestine, but then your good bacteria can release them so they can be absorbed down in the lower intestine. So considering the reversible nature of binding, as opposed to the dairy proteins, it seems not to be as relevant as to whether or not you add soy milk. Our next story is about the best foods for late pregnancy. We discuss how dates are put to the test in a randomized control trial for cervical ripening. In the 19th chapter of the Quran, Mary is giving birth to Jesus. I didn't even know Jesus was in the Quran, the things they don't teach you in Hebrew school. It says the pains of childbirth drove her to the trunk of a palm tree. She cries out, and she is answered by Gabriel, archangel and evidently obstetrician. Who knew? Shake the tree, he says, and it will drop upon you ripe, fresh dates, and you'll be all better. No epidural necessary. Do dates really help with labor and delivery? It would take a little over 2,000 years, but researchers finally decided to put it to the test. They had some anecdotal evidence that dates might be helping, but they wanted to know for sure whether the addition of date fruit for the last few weeks of pregnancy would reduce the need for labor induction or augmentation. Uh, that's where you give drugs to induce uterine contractions to initiate or accelerate labor. It's one of the most commonly performed obstetrical procedures in the U.S., uh, dramatically increasing over the last few decades, from less than 10% of deliveries to now nearly a quarter. Uh, there are certainly legitimate medical indications, but are often done just for convenience and not necessarily the convenience of the patient, but the provider, who may also have perverse financial incentives and other reasons to want to speed things along. And dates might not help with those factors, but might they help foster a normal, spontaneous delivery? Let's find out. A prospective study, women eating six dates a day, that's totally doable, during their last month of pregnancy versus no dates at all, and 
the women who consumed date fruit had significantly better cervical dilation, significantly higher proportion of intact membranes. That's a good thing. And spontaneous labor occurred in 96% of those who consumed dates, compared to 79% of women in the non-date group, with significantly less drugs used. And the labor was shorter, as in about seven hours shorter overall. It is therefore concluded that the consumption of date fruit in the last four weeks of pregnancy significantly reduced the need for induction and augmentation of labor. The results warrant a randomized controlled trial. Uh, wait, what? The women weren't randomized? Uh, they even talk about how it was hard to find women who would agree to not eat dates because it's part of their cultural beliefs. So you can totally imagine how there could be all sorts of differences between the women who ate dates and those who agreed to go without that could account for the findings. Maybe the date eaters were more religious or, or higher socioeconomic status, or who knows? I mean, yeah, you could argue, you know, what's the downside? Might as well give dates a try, but that's not good enough. I want to know if they actually work. But there had never been a randomized controlled trial until three years later. The effect of late pregnancy consumption of date fruit on so-called cervical ripening in first-time mothers. In the last few weeks of pregnancy, hormonal changes caused the cervix, the opening to the uterus, to start to ripen, to soften, so that when the contractions start, it can more easily dilate open. And at this stage, the cervix loses its integrated structure and therefore becomes soft and dilated as soon as strong contractions begin. Um, through a ripe cervix, you can push a baby out with like 20 pounds of pressure per square inch, but if the cervix isn't there yet, it can require more like you know, 200 pounds of pressure. So it goes without saying that cervical ripening before the onset of labor is important if you want a normal vaginal delivery. Uh, the search for a safe, inexpensive, and easy method of facilitating cervical ripening is therefore of great interest. So let's randomize a few hundred women, starting at like the 37th week, to eat about six dates a day, or not, until their first contraction. Uh, cervical ripening is rated with a, what's called a Bishop score. Uh, normally, a score of five or less indicates an unfavorable cervix, whereas eight or more, and you're good to go. And the average Bishop score in the women randomized to the date group was significantly higher, closer to 8, whereas the date-free group was down at around 5. And the cervix was more dilated in the date group. And hey, um, dates are healthy anyway, so maybe dates should be recommended for pregnant women to help with cervical ripening, particularly in the last few weeks of their pregnancy. And finally, I know you've been waiting patiently for this randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trials of blueberries. The consumption of berries can enhance beneficial signaling in the brain. Plant foods are our primary source of antioxidants and anti-inflammatory compounds, but some plant foods may be better than others, as I've explained before. One cup of blueberries a day can improve cognition among older adults, and the same thing in kids after just a single meal of blueberries, though two cups may work better than one. That single hit of berries may also improve mood. A double-blind, placebo-controlled crossover study in which kids are asked a series of questions. Are you very slightly or not at all, a little, moderately, quite a bit, or extremely interested, excited, strong, etc.? 
before and after drinking the placebo, no significant change. But two hours after consuming about two cups of blueberries, their positive mood scores significantly improved. Uh, they felt more enthusiastic, alert, inspired, attentive, that kind of thing. That was in young adults, ages 18 through 21. Same thing in 7- to 10-year-old children. Some dangerous new mood-enhancing drug or Ritalin? No, blueberries, and just after a single meal. Now, blueberries can't do everything. Although a cup of berry certainly appears to improve brain function, no improvement in walking or balance was observed. Maybe if you tried two cups of blueberries a day? Let's do it. Would six weeks of two cups of frozen blueberries a day affect the functional mobility in adults over age 60? Let's find out. How awesome is it that this study was ever done in the first place? Anyway, randomized to blueberries or carrot juice as a control, measuring things like walking a plank, uh, seeing if you can maintain your balance along a narrow path. Uh, two bright yellow ropes on the floor outlined the narrow path, and participants were instructed to walk down within the roped path. And the blueberries beat out the carrot juice. Significant improvements suggesting blueberry supplementation may provide an effective countermeasure to age-related declines in functional mobility. And looking back, they were thinking maybe they should have used something like cucumber as a control, since the carrots may have offered some benefit as well, making the blueberry results even more impressive. Overall, this study demonstrates the need for greater exploration of blueberry supplementation as a non-pharmacologic countermeasure to the public health issue of age-related declines in independence, or to use the pun version, dietary interventions with phytonutrient-rich foods such as blueberries present a potentially fruitful strategy for combating some of the deleterious effects of age-related neurodegeneration. We would love it if you could share with us your stories about reinventing your health through evidence-based nutrition. Go to nutritionfacts.org forward slash testimonials. We may share it with our social media to help inspire others. To see any graphs, charts, graphics, images, or studies mentioned here, please go to the Nutrition Facts podcast landing page. There you'll find all the detailed information you need, plus links to all the sources we cite for each of these topics. Be sure to check out my new How Not to Die cookbook. It's beautifully designed with more than 100 recipes for delicious and nutritious plant-based meals, snacks, and beverages. All proceeds I receive from the sale of all my books goes to charity. NutritionFacts.org is a non-profit science-based public service where you can sign up for free daily updates on the latest in nutrition research via bite-sized videos and articles. Everything on the website is free. There's no ads, no corporate sponsorship. It's strictly non-commercial. not selling anything. Just put it up as a public service, as a labor of love, as a tribute to my grandmother, whose own life was saved with evidence-based nutrition. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Facts. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Greger.